whatever is super specific to your culture, add it to your food, to your rice, to anything. Just get them acquainted with those tastes because then it won't feel foreign to them ever. You know, they grow up developing that flavor palette that you also have. And it's just so inclusive. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Big Blend, the podcast about merging cultures, identity, and transmission. This episode's guest is Dima Adra, the writer of Mama Ghanouche, a cookbook that is all about transmission of recipes and culture. For those of you who are listening for the first time, you can discover the story behind the podcast in the first episode, The Prologue. Before we start, let me tell you a little bit about Dima. She grew up in a Lebanese family in Saudi Arabia. Today, after living in Lebanon for a few years, she lives in Montreal with her husband and they have a little boy together, Zin, who is two years old. But what's important to know is that Dima cooks a lot. She loves to feed everyone that crosses her path. And she considers it a duty to learn how to cook the typical dishes from our cultures and get it straight from the source, our moms. But moms transmit in a very approximate way. So she went into the kitchens of 10 mamas, including mine, by the way, and transcribed every tiny gesture to then write her wonderful cookbook, Mama Renouche. I wanted to interview Dima to understand how food culture is transmitted and what we can do to keep our family recipes alive to ultimately pass on the feeling of home to our kids through their plate. Hi, Dima. Hi, Marielle. So, Dima, where are you from? Okay, so I grew up in Saudi, but I would say that I'm from Lebanon. How long did you stay in Saudi? I was there until I was 18. I was born in Saudi and uh, finished high school and left when I had to go to university. Okay. Did it ever feel like home there? To be very honest, I have to say no. How come? Well, the thing is, the way Saudi functions is that you can't really buy land. You can't own anything if you're not Saudi. You can't have the nationality. So basically, it's not set up for you to belong there. But so, did you ever want to have a Saudi passport? Um, no, not really. Because I think it was just, that was it. Like, that's how it is. So we never felt like, oh, I wish I was from here or anything. Because our community was very Lebanese or and like Arab, Middle Eastern. So we never felt the need to belong there. Because we were so enrooted in our own community. Okay, so that's why you say you're from Lebanon. So how was it at home Uh, the language, the food. Everywhere, like whether it was in my house or my friend's house, you felt like you were in Lebanon. Whether it was the food that our parents would serve us or the way they spoke to us or the news channels they would watch. So it wasn't odd for us to go back to Lebanon. It was as if we were in the same environment. You said you left Saudi at 18. Where did you go? At 18, I went to Montreal to do my university studies. Uh, I stayed there for two years and then I went back to Lebanon to live there for the first time. So how come you went to Lebanon? Different reasons, but the main one was because I was very unhappy in Montreal. I think the change from Saudi to Montreal was too harsh. They're complete opposites and it was too drastic. And I was very young. I was 17. And also I wanted to experience living in Lebanon because I never had the chance. And knowing how the situation is, I knew that studying there would be the my best chance to to be there. Especially that like the job opportunities are not the best in terms of salary and everything, I knew that this was my chance. How did it feel when you got there? Was it what you always expected it to be? It was even better. 
honestly. I really felt as soon as I like I got my acceptance, I felt like I belonged. Although like I had never lived in Lebanon, I felt like, okay, I'm in my country. This is my country and I'm with my people. And like, I just felt at home. I really felt at home. Yeah. And it really felt so good. I had never experienced that before. Really never. Every summer we would go to Lebanon for at least two months. So we would experience it in that way. So it was like we would get comfortable enough to feel like we're living there. But then as soon as we were getting our routines, we would have to leave. And I think that this time it was like, no, I get to stay. I get to stay and I get to call Lebanon my home like for real this time because it's like it's my nationality on my passport and it's my country of residence and like everything is matching. It's the language that I speak and it's what I identify as. So everything was aligned and it just felt very powerful to me that everything was aligned because I've always lived uh, not in that way. I was born in Saudi, but I'm Lebanese. I'm living in Canada. It's like a multi multifaceted thing. And for the first time, all my different identities or points of like how I identify myself were aligned as Lebanese. It looks like your parents really kept the Lebanese-ness alive in your home in Saudi. Is there something that you wish they had done differently? Um, no, I think that what they did is what created that connection for us to the country. And I really appreciate it. I never doubted my Lebanese-ness and I love that. It was never shaky, never, ever, ever. I always knew that I'm Lebanese and I think it's thanks to how they've immersed us in the culture completely. And they're very proud to be Lebanese. And, and so I think that it was to our advantage. What did they do exactly to immerse you in the culture? Okay, so as we said, the news. <laughs> the news, the TV blaring at all times. <laughs> Especially it, for me, it was the food. Everything we ate was Lebanese every day, all day. Uh, so even when we went back to Lebanon, there was no disconnect with what was on our plate. Like we knew what that food was and it was very similar tasting. Okay, we'll get back to that later. Today you live in, in Montreal. Why did you choose this city? And how, does it feel like home today? Uh, so I came here to uh, become financially independent because when I was working in Lebanon, salaries were very low. So for me, Montreal, I, I knew that city. I was comfortable coming back and I had met my husband. Dima's husband already lived in Montreal back then. And a very important part is that the Lebanese community here is really big. It's like the work was done for me to feel enrooted in a way. Like my points of reference were established already. The biggest uh, supermarkets here are Lebanese. So like that says a lot about how enrooted we are as a community. So your husband is Lebanese as well and you both live in, in Montreal. Uh, what are the languages spoken at home today? How did you manage the strategy with your kids? The way we decided to do it is to really focus on English and French first, since we are in Montreal, because we wanted to make sure that he can communicate easily. So at home, we speak French and at daycare, he speaks in English. And if I want to speak to him in English, I do it within an activity. So uh, we read a book in English, we paint in English, we make sure that it's it's it starts at a time and 
stops after the activity is done. And I would say that he's now able to recognize the languages. So like, let's say he tells me he's, we're speaking in French and then he says horsey. I say en français and he knows that I mean that he has to switch and he, he'll say cheval. I, I'm proud of how we did that because things are sectioned in his head and he's not mixing so much, which was important to me. So where is Arabic in all that? Do you want to transmit the Lebanese language as well? Yes, of course. But I wanted to do it when he already felt comfortable in two languages. So as of now, now he just turned two, we're going to start uh, integrating Arabic much more. We already were working on that in fun ways, like we say Naiman, Sahtin, Habibi. So Habibi means my love. Sahtin means bon appétit. And Naiman is used in two situations, either after a haircut or after you've taken a shower. It's kind of a blessing you bestow on someone who gets cleaned up, basically. We make all the sounds that he needs to get used to, like the ah and the ha, and he's able to do them, which is amazing. And I was thinking about this this morning. The fact that we say Naiman is, it reminds me again of what Marwan was saying, like we are, we're affectionate in Arabic. Marwan is the guest in episode five of The Big Blend. He had said that they mostly speak English at home, but that they love in Arabic. It's so intimate and affectionate as a word and he gets it. Like, I love that he knows. So like when I step out of the shower, he tells me Naiman, which is so cute. <laughs> you know? In your household, more than transmitting a language, it's really about transmitting tastes. Can you tell me about the genesis of Mama Ranouge, your cookbook? Yes. So uh, I moved to Montreal about 10 years ago. And although I had my my now husband, then boyfriend and my sister here, I felt very, very, very homesick and felt like I needed to feel at home within my own place. And it was very hard for me to do that. Like I tried doing it with so many efforts, music, like all the things, and it wasn't quite enough. So I noticed that what was missing was the food. But what was not cool was that I couldn't cook the food. I didn't know how to make any of the dishes. And whenever I would ask my mom for the recipes, it was always extremely complicated. And we would spend hours on FaceTime. I would have to put my phone in the bowl so that she sees how much I'm putting. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> Just like very complicated, not straightforward, very dependent. I was very dependent on her to make whatever dish I wanted to make. I didn't feel empowered. That's when I realized that um, we really need to do something about that. So the idea just came to me and I decided to take it really seriously, not only for myself, but for my generation, because I really wasn't the only one who thought that way. Whenever you ask your mom for a recipe, she'll say a cup or two, or you'll know when it's done and things like that. And it's, it's honestly very intimidating. It's for sure. It's funny, but it's very intimidating when you get instructions like that and you end up not cooking that food, which at that time I knew that I was going to be marrying my husband and we were going to have kids here. And it really scared me that my son wasn't going to eat the food that I grew up eating. So it kind of gave me the drive to just get this project going and like represent my culture in the best light possible. Mama Ranouge, how did this name 
come to you? Okay, first of all, it didn't come to me. It came to my sister because when I was, I had started the process, it was very clear to me what the look, tone and feel was going to be and what I wanted it to convey. And I kept saying to her, I can't, I can't figure it out. Like, I want you to understand that it's Lebanese and that it's mom's and it's it's a cookbook. And like, I'm just not able to figure it out. And she just said, Mama Hanoush. And I was just like, it's genius. Genius. So yeah, trademark that shit. <laughs> okay. For the non-Arabic speaking, Baba Ghanouj is the name of the famous puree or spread made of eggplant and sesame paste. It is quite typical of Middle Eastern cuisine. And literally, Baba means dad and Ghanouj means pampered, spoiled or cuddly. So it translates to cuddly dad. Now you know why Mama Ghanouj, cuddly mama, makes so much sense. What was the process of writing the book? Why did you want specific moms to give you the, their recipes? Okay, so I'm going to answer this question in two parts. First of all, why moms and not grandmas? Because moms, especially our moms, were the last generation of moms that were in the kitchen, but also like starting to have careers and working outside of the home and all that. So they were much more aware of time and uh, juggling like work, uh, projects, volunteering, uh, home, all that. Like there was a lot going on. And so it was important for me to get recipes from people that we can relate to because that's how we're, we're living our life right now. So that's why I chose mom's. Grandma's recipes are much more, they're lengthier, the things take longer, which is amazing, but it's, it's just a different way of cooking. And why the moms that I picked, the moms that I picked are all very close to my heart and they're all excellent cooks. Everyone in the community knows that they're amazing cooks like if you're invited over you're extremely excited to eat at their table so for me it was important to have them in the book so the way I did it was that I went into their kitchens and cooked with them I measured every single ingredient wrote down every single tip because the thing is the way moms cook now is that it's just automatic they just it's like second nature so they can't tell you why they do this that way or that that way it's just become how they function so uh, registering every single part of it was super important in, in terms of like being able to reproduce the recipe and being in the kitchen with them allowed me to ask why like okay why did you soak this longer or why did you cook your onions at this point or and I think what also happened is that they were starting to realize that that's why they do it that way and that's what makes it so good but it's because it's so automatic to them they they don't even think about it like they just know that this is the best way to do it you know what I mean so it was a cool process for I think for both sides because they they knew already but I mean, like, I think it was a reminder of, ah, oh, okay, yeah, that's why I did it that way, because it's, it makes it that much more delicious. So what's the big, big dream objective of this book? What was super important to me was that every person who was interested in cooking Lebanese food, whether they're Lebanese or not, would have the tool to do it in an empowered way. That was my aim. I, I want people to go in the kitchen, want to make, I don't know, shish barak and succeed at it because I've given them all the instructions to get the, the proper result. Because there are situations where you follow a recipe and it hasn't given you enough detail to uh, get you to the to a good result. And if that happens, especially I think with Lebanese food where we're super intimidated to cook it, if you don't get 
the result that you're used to, you're going to be like, oh, no, 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 this is not made for me. I can't do it. Khalas, it's my mom's. Uh, I'll let my mom make it for me when she's here. Whereas, no, I don't want that. The whole point is for us to transmit the, our culture to our kids. And if we don't learn it, how are we going to do it? And But just like you said, sometimes it's really hard to cook a typical meal from your home country, not only because it takes longer and it's complex, but also because sometimes you just don't find the exact same spices, the exact same ingredients. What would be your advice to get started, to get motivated, to actually go and assemble all the pieces to make it the same way that your mama did it? Okay, first of all, I think that there are many recipes that you can make and the ingredients for these recipes are easy to find. Like they're just average, like normal spices, like rizajes, for example. That's chicken with rice. There's nothing different. Yani, all these spices, you can find them in France, in, in the States, anywhere, wherever you are. So I would say pick a recipe that doesn't have particular spices that you can't find because already that is like, oh my God, okay, you're starting off feeling like you're not going to get the same result. Then I would say I the way I like to cook and that I do a lot, especially that now I have a kid, um, is I break down my recipes or I batch things. Like let's say today I'm making basil lauders and tomorrow I'm making, uh, I don't know, daoud basha. Basil lauders and daoud basha are two Lebanese dishes in which you need onions. I'm going to cut my onions for the basil lauders and daoud basha today. And then I'm just going to pack those onions for daoud basha for tomorrow. Then tomorrow I, I'm barely doing any chopping. So it's really cuts the time in half. I would say also common mistakes that people make that I used to make is not reading the recipes in advance. So when you read your recipe, my advice is really read it once and then read it again, imagining every single step. You're going to feel so much more equipped to go through it when you're in the kitchen, because if you're scrambling to see what the next step is, you're going to feel very, very out of control. And that's the worst thing in the kitchen. You really want to feel in control in the kitchen. That's the number one thing and organized. The more organized you are, the smoother the process will go and the more you'll enjoy it and the more you can depend on your senses to really refine your recipe and your cooking skills it's it just allows you to play much more when you're organized in the kitchen so this is why i wrote my book in a way that can work for beginners as much as for someone who's super advanced in the kitchen because when i was looking at uh, other cookbooks uh, and mostly lebanese ones they assume that you know how to cook and they assume that you know how long to fry your onions for and when your meat is done and all that so the way i wrote it is i have a chapter at the beginning of the book that outlines all the mistakes i've made in the kitchen and how how you can avoid those um, <laughs> and how you can be a better cook and not even have to go through all the trouble I went through. And then in the recipes, I always give you a way to kind of depend on your senses to know when things are done. So like, okay, cook the onions until they're translucent and soft and sweet. So I'm telling you to see, to look at your onions, see that they've changed color, to taste your onions and see that they've become sweet and the texture is soft. So all these things are really important to equip you with a, um, how to say, like a, a toolbox that you can always refer back to no matter what recipe you're making later on, whether it's Lebanese or whatever, Indian, anything, anything. Khalas, you know that this is what it means to cook an onion down. That's how I learned. So I wanted to give the same thing to my readers. 
Tell me about the feedback you've been getting, especially from Lebanese people abroad. The feedback I've been getting has been so overwhelming and so touching. I think I get uh, <laughs> very emotional every time I get a message. Sometimes I cry because <laughs> I can't believe that the book is able to make people feel at home wherever they live. I get feedback like, uh, oh my God, it tastes just like my mom's. Or <laughs> I get feedback from, for example, let's say a girl who's not Lebanese is cooking for her Lebanese boyfriend. And... <laughs> The, the girl writes me and she's like, he said it's even better than his mom's. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> But yeah, don't tell her that. Um, or like once I got a message from a girl who cooked for her mother-in-law, who is Lebanese, and her mother-in-law was so impressed. It was like, oh my God, this is, this is how it tastes. It, that's it. That's it. You got it. So just being able to see people make the food and feel empowered, like that's exactly my aim they're just feeling like they're capable of doing it and they want to do it again for me that's priceless like that's what that's the aim and you said that uh, not being able to transmit this to your kid is what actually inspired you to start all this today you can cook for zin and you can transmit this through food how does it feel It feels very powerful, I have to say, because he's 100% Lebanese, has never been to Lebanon, doesn't speak the language yet, but he knows all of our food and all his favorite foods are Lebanese. He loves bimye, kousa, kibbe, hummus. You probably guessed it, but that's a bunch of Lebanese dishes. He loves all the things that we grew up eating. And when I see him enjoying that food, I'm like... It's just so, I don't know, it's just, I feel like it's like the meaning of life, <laughs> you know? I don't know if I'm being too, like, hey, existential, but it's just like, my kid, who was born in Montreal, is eating the food I grew up eating in Saudi, and it's from our culture in Lebanon, where he's never been, but he is 100% Lebanese. He is in his blood, he's Lebanese. And I see it when he's eating and he's saying and he's excited. It's like, I, uh, I just feel like it's, I feel proud, you know? You talked about your son being Lebanese in his blood, loving the Lebanese food, but never having, but never having been in Lebanon. No. Never. I never had. Have. Uh, never, never have had. Never have gone. <laughs> but never have gone to Lebanon. What would you want him to answer to the question, where are you from? Oh, I definitely want him to answer that he's Lebanese. Definitely. Because that's how I identify myself as. And honestly, I'm working hard for him to identify as Lebanese as well. <laughs> Whether it's in the kitchen or music or the words I'm trying to make him say <laughs> in Arabic. Yeah, I would say Lebanese because although you know, Montreal is our adopted city and we love it and everything, originally we're from Lebanon. And I, and I think that if we stop saying that... A lot can be lost. Why is it important to you that, that nothing is lost? Because it's like your sense of belonging. 
I feel like um, every Lebanese person that I know or have met always has the dream to go back or to like, end up there. Like at some point, and for me, even when we retire, like it's we're retiring in Lebanon, like I'm not growing old here. I love it for a young person, but for a, an older person, it's very hard to be in Montreal with the cold and everything. So it's just like knowing that your land is there waiting for you. Although I know it's not going great for us there. <laughs> knowing that it's yours it's yours it's yours you belong there it's beautiful it has so much to offer is we're blessed we're blessed with a beautiful country and knowing that you belong there is is everything and if you start if you stop saying that you're Lebanese if you stop eating Lebanese food if you don't talk in Arabic what's left you know where's what's your connection where do you belong um Is there one last piece of advice that you want to give to parents wanting to transmit their culture through food? I would I would say just start with even the smallest item, even with spices, like anything, anything, even just for us. For example, in Lebanese food, we use you no know, cumin. We use we use a lot of like fresh coriander and garlic. Even if you add that to your potatoes, whatever is super specific to your culture, add it to your food, to your rice, to anything. Just get them acquainted with those tastes because then it won't feel foreign to them ever. You know, they grow up developing that flavor palette that you also have. And it's just so inclusive for them. They'll just feel like when they go back to your country or wherever it is, they'll feel like, oh, I know this. And they're, trust me, they're going to be super excited that they know the food that, of their country. You know, they've been exposed to it. And anyway, for kids, it's super important for, for them to be exposed to all spices, even like cayenne and you know, spi spicy foods, because it allows them to experience different feelings on their tongue, even textures, all that. Like not only is it great for their culture, but it's great for their ex exposure and their development. Where can people find your book? Many, many places. First of all, they can buy it through my website, mamahanoush.com. Then they can find it in Dubai in several stores. They can find it in New York. They can find it in Saint-Barth. I know. Crazy. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm missing somewhere. In Montreal, many places in Montreal. Yeah, you can find all the information on Instagram. So you just need to follow us at mamahanoush. <laughs> We're reaching the end. I always end the podcast with this question. What is the smell of home to you? But in your case, I feel like I have to say, what is the taste of home? I can answer both. Taste of home and smell is uh, uh, onions and garlic cooking, for sure. Like the first whiff that you get when you start cooking your on onions and garlic and oil. For me, that's really the smell of home and at my mom's, at my grandma's, and mom's in Saudi and my grandma in, in Lebanon, same smell. And when, for example, I go to my mother-in-law, it's the same smell and it just like, it warms my heart so much. Like I know something good is coming, you know? And I would say taste of home, if I had to take a bite of something, I think it would be that. Zatar is a mix of thyme and other spices that is used as a spread or as a spice in the Levant region. Zatar, yeah. Thank you so much, Dima. Thank you, Mahel, for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Big Blend. Here are a few things that stood out for me during my conversation with Dima. She uses the word empowering a lot. It's unusual to use this word to describe people in the kitchen. But to her, knowing how to cook your culture's food is indeed a superpower. I loved her edgy point of view. Also, by the way, her book was done by a team of all women. Photographer, illustrator, editor. 
To her, empowering women and giving them the recognition they deserve was key in this project. Another thing that I'll keep from this discussion is how important it is to accustom kids to the culture's different tastes and textures. Even if it's just a tiny sprinkle of a specific spice on their meal, their palate will be used to this taste and it will never feel foreign to them. I don't know about you, but starting now, I'm adding Lebanese spices to every meal my daughter is having. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Big Blend. If you like what we do, talk about us to your multicultural friends. You can also give us five stars on your podcast app. And if you want to get a glimpse into the newest episodes every month, follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter on the website, thebigblend.co. Cheers and see you soon. 